0: All right, welcome in episode 130 of the Hot Crits Podcast. Coach's Corner, let's talk about them. You guys know them, you love them. It is finally college football season, NFL right around the corner. So, you know that Coach's Corner is the number one spot to watch sports this football season. You can check them out at 3016 East Victory Drive or www.coaches.net. Call ahead your order Monday through Friday, lunch specials 912 352 2933. Tell them we sent you and they'll hook it up for you on that bill. Check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network as well. That's Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, NASCAR, talking NASCAR on Wednesday nights on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. We also had him on the podcast last week, so check that out if you haven't already. Also, Carl DeMasi and Kyle Lawson on the Who Is On First Base Baseball podcast. That's on TuneIn, Podbean, you can find the link there on Carl's Facebook page. You can also find him, Carl DeMossi, on Saturday mornings up at Coach's Corner talking all things local sports. Um, also on his YouTube, it's archived there, as well as Rubbin' and Grubbin' too, that's archived as well. All of that, a part of the Coach's Corner Sports Network, so we're grateful to them. You guys go show them love this football season and tell them we sent you. All right, let's get after it for our 130th time, Hawkeret's Podcast. Ain't nobody gonna this your boy, I can't All <laughs> I mean, I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. Ain't gonna rip like you might as well just walk up like to Cupid yeah. while he's on his lunch break and you know, crank his heat or something. Yeah. Punch him yeah. Right in the face. Punch <laughs> so a little baby right now. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. out. You over there, you over there. All right, welcome back in Hot Grids Podcast, episode 130. i got a lot to get to today. It's college football season. Football's back, baby. Georgia, Georgia Southern, they're all playing this weekend, so I want to talk about that. But I guess we can't get too far into this without talking about the Atlanta Braves losing two of three over the weekend to St. Louis. Um, A lot coming out of that series and a lot of takeaways for me. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. But you know, I think 79 and 50, the Braves are just fine, and there's a lot of panic right now because of the way they lost, and understandably so. The way they lost Saturday and Sunday uh, in St. Louis was tough because they hadn't lost that way often all year, and then they lose twice in a row, including on Sunday on national TV, uh, winning late in the game before the Cardinals broke it open and won six to three. Um. I thought it was crazy interesting, this stat. And I heard Ben Ingram say it on the Atlanta Braves radio network. So on Sunday, the Mets lost 1-0 uh, early in the afternoon. And then the Braves, as we said, lost 6-3 to Sunday night to the Cardinals. That was the first time since the All-Star break that the Mets lost on the same day as the Braves. Before Sunday, the Mets were 10-0 on days that the Braves lost or days that the Braves were off. And the Braves, before Sunday, were 11-0 and when the Mets were off or when the Mets lost. So Sunday was the first time since the All-Star break that they both lost. So essentially what that means is the Braves, since the All-Star break, have gained 11 games on the Mets, but the Mets have gained 10 on the Braves. And so, not a mass guy, but all of that, has gotten you one game closer than you were at the All-Star break to the New York Mets. So 33 more games to go. Um, again, not a math guy. If you gain one game every 10 games, you'll be tied with the Mets with one series to play, with three games to go. So if you keep doing that, like the Braves have done that, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Mets are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Simple math tells you, that means the Braves have gained one game in the last 10 games played for both teams. So while it's not the pace the Braves fans want, understandably so, they're still playing well enough to keep pace with the Mets, and not only that, to gain a game on the Mets, when the Mets really haven't played poorly. I mean, obviously they haven't played poorly. So Kinley Jansen blows the save on Saturday night, and Braves fans lose their fucking minds. They freak out. ...about Kinley Jansen... Uh, ...they want to cut him... ...they want to send him down... Uh, ...because of one save... It's like, ...it's like some of us... ...have never watched baseball before... Um, ...this is going to happen... ...from time to time... Uh, ...Kinley hasn't been that great... ...all season... ...but he's been one of the best closers... ...in baseball... ...he's second in baseball in saves... ...he's top five in K's per nine... ...and he's top ten in opponent batting average... He's pretty freaking good. It's 13 games since the All-Star break. He has a 3.0 ERA. And he has 7 saves. Saturday night was his first loss. Of the season. Of the season. He's only pitched in 8 games. With a one run lead this season. 8 of them. Okay, so what happened Saturday night is a bonafide rarity. It doesn't happen a lot. Now, it sucks because of the way it happened and because it was so obvious right when he took the mound that he didn't have it. But how many times does that happen with Kinley Jansen? It happens all the time. He lets guys on base and he gets out of it. There was nobody better behind him that could come out of that Braves bullpen. At least in my opinion. Certainly when you use the Glacius in the eighth, there's nobody else behind Jansen that would, I would feel more confident in than him. Now, if it happens three times in his next five outings, then you got a problem. But right now, there's not a problem with Kinley Jansen. The bullpen's not pitching great, but over 162 games, there's going to be a two-week stretch. There's going to be a week stretch where your bullpen pitches terrible, top to bottom. That's where you have to depend on the starters, you have to depend on the offense and the rest of the ball club to to win games, to not go on four or five-game losing streaks. And the Braves have done that. They've avoided those long losing streaks all season, and I think they'll continue to do it. They get three versus Colorado, three versus Miami, then two in Oakland before they head to Seattle. So the next eight games, very winnable games. Rockies, Marlins, Athletics. So go 6-2 and two over these next eight. Go 6-2 and two over these next eight. Now, the Mets don't have a tough schedule either, but look, if the Braves keep doing what they're doing, they're going to be right there thirty three games from now with a chance to win the NL East. And if not, they can roll the dice and be the number one wild card and look pretty good going into the playoffs doing so. I think this week, starting Tuesday night against the Rockies, you'll get a good sense of the Braves rotation heading into September. Monday night or Tuesday night, Max Fried versus Jose Urania, Braves fans will remember Urania from being the Marlins pitcher that hit Ronald Acuna so often that even Brian Snicker got mad about it. Um, So we get to reunite with him Tuesday night. With the Rockies, I'm sure the Braves fans will uh, give him a hearty welcome. Hearty welcome back to Atlanta. I wonder if Acuna will be back in the lineup Tuesday night. I wonder if he will be. If Marcelo Zuna's in the lineup, I wonder who Braves fans would be rooting for when it's Jose Uriña against Marcelo Zuna. That'd be interesting. So, looking forward to that, but look, Max Fried's been really good, 12-4, 2.5 ERA, but Wednesday night, Kyle Wright goes, and he's 16-5 with a 2.99. So he's got 16 wins with probably five starts to go, five starts, maybe six more starts to go. It's not out of the realm of possibility to think Kyle Wright could win 20 games, which is extremely rare these days. You want to know the last Brave to, to have 20 wins in a season as a starting pitcher or as a pitcher? It was in 2003. It was Russ Ortiz. Russ Ortiz, ladies and gentlemen, is the last Braves pitcher to win 20 games in a season. And Kyle Wright, 16-5, and five, has a shot. He's got an outside shot at winning 20 games. Something that's only happened once in all of baseball in the last five years. Julio Urias last season had 21 wins, I think, or 20 wins. Um, so it's happened once since 2016 in all of baseball. Kyle Wright has a shot. Then Thursday is September 1st, which might as well be. I'm going to have to figure out how we're going to do this, but Spencer Strider starts September 1st for the Braves. Uh, it's going to be Spence Timber stride timber something like that there's something there we got a workshop at Um, but strider goes he's eight and four 2.87 era so you get the big boys for three games against the rockies that the braves should definitely be able to take care of business at the very least win that series same for the next three against the marlins then same for two against oakland who might be the worst team in all of baseball the mariner series down the road that could be interesting That one could be interesting, but still a long way to go until we get there. All right, let's talk a little football. But before we do, I want to announce a new sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. It's Sweet Potatoes Kitchen. Sweet Potatoes, one of Savannah's most recognized, most well-known, and best restaurants, especially on the south side. Uh, Steve Magulius, the owner, they're at 531 Stevenson Avenue. Um, So right over there, kind of near the movie theater on Stevenson Avenue. Tucked away, it's it's a great lunch spot if you're on the south side of Savannah, um, but it's also sort of a nice place to go where you don't have to deal with the downtown bullshit, for lack of a better word. Um, You can go right here on the south side of Savannah and find good southern food at Sweet Potatoes Kitchen. They're open Monday, 11 to 3, so just lunch on Mondays, but then Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, they got fried chicken, which is my favorite. Uh, The macaroni and cheese is delectable, really good, so we're happy to have Sweet Potatoes as a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. We want you guys to go check them out, not only because they're a sponsor, but also because you're going to love it. If you haven't had Sweet Potatoes before, um, people have known them for their banana pudding uh, that was on Food Network, it was on Man vs. Food, or whatever that show was, it was called the best banana pudding in the world. Pretty solid, pretty solid. They have like a 4.9 rating on Google, 4.9 on Yelp, on TripAdvisor. Like They're really highly rated, and anyone that's been there knows why. So check them out, 531 Stevenson Avenue. If you want to call ahead your to-go order, you can call them at 912-352-3434, 912-352-3434. And also go like their Facebook page, Sweet Potatoes Kitchen in Savannah. All right, college football is here. Georgia, 17 point favorites against Oregon, maybe 17 and a half, uh, depending on where you look. Saturday in the bins in Atlanta, Georgia and Oregon. Uh, I can't believe it's finally here. Cannot believe that it's finally here. Um, and I'm excited to see what the Bulldogs look like on Saturday night against the Ducks. Quack, quack. Uh, I don't think I'll touch the spread, but. Uh, interesting stat here from, I don't remember who said this, but I heard it this weekend uh, when listening to previews of the game. Under Kirby Smart, Georgia is 47-34 against the spread. Now that might not sound as impressive as it actually is, but that's 13 games over 500 against the spread. So if you, you're betting them every time, like that's, you're making a profit uh, and a sizable one at that. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know that Georgia will cover, but I'm interested to see a couple of things from Georgia outside of the general big picture, how they look after you know winning a national championship. Georgia's gonna play a game on Saturday night where they're the reigning national champs. And that hasn't happened in forty years. Let that sink in for a moment. Regardless of how this season goes, Georgia is about to play a college football season in which it is the defending national champ. So that'll be fun to say and fun to hear all season long for Bulldogs fans. Uh, I don't want this to happen, but as always, I'm interested to see what happens if Georgia has an injury early at the quarterback position. Stetson Bennett, you know, I think most people know he hasn't always been my guy, but like I'm not calling for his job at all this season. I'm gonna put a hand up now and say that because he's done enough. Obviously, obviously Stetson Bennett has done enough to be the starter at Georgia. But if I had to guess, it would be Carson Beck, number two. And if that happens, I don't know that Georgia's good enough this year. So there were games and moments in time when Bennett wasn't great, but Georgia was so good. They were so good everywhere else that I thought, you know, it didn't matter all that much. Um, On the defensive side, You know, I haven't seen a depth chart yet. I've seen a couple of media members guess at what Georgia's depth chart might look like. I don't know that I can go a whole season watching Dan Jackson play strong safety for the University of Georgia. I just don't know that I can do it. Behind him could be Malachi Starks, the five-star freshman um, from Columbus. I think a lot of Savannah people will remember Starks as being the guy that led uh, Carver Columbus over Benedictine two years ago now um, in the final four at Memorial Stadium when Holden Garner and Broadnecks and a lot of those BC guys were one game away from the state championship game. Starks intercepted the final pass and he was electric at quarterback and on defense for Columbus. He's really good. He's really good. He's a five-star true freshman and I... I know that the time is coming very soon, probably early in the Oregon game, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to see Starks out there over 47, over Dan Jackson at safety. Uh, if you don't know who Dan Jackson is, just wait. Just wait. You'll recognize him pretty quickly out there on the field if he's out there running around. So again, it's number 11 Oregon versus number 3 Georgia, 330, on September 3rd this Saturday. In Atlanta, can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, Elsewhere around the state, Georgia Southern is preparing to open the Clay Helton era against Morgan State. Uh, I was planning on going over the depth chart, but I guess that doesn't happen this season uh, until Fridays, uh, which doesn't help early week podcasts, that's for sure. Uh, Georgia Southern, Morgan State, Saturday, September 3rd at 6 p.m., Paulson Stadium in Statesboro. Um, I don't know if I've seen a line on that game yet, but uh, I would bet Georgia Southern has really, really heavy odds to win that game. It'll it'll be one of like either two, three, or four games that Georgia Southern's favored in um, all season. I guess the one thing that you can take away from a game like this, if you're Georgia Southern, is that you can certainly see at least how the new offense will look. I don't know if results wise, like I think it's easy after the fact to either be to either overreact positively or overreact negatively based on how the game goes. Like Georgia Southern's not gonna lose to Morgan State. But let's say, you know, if they win twenty-four to ten, I think a lot of fans would be understandably upset about that if you're a Georgia Southern fan but it's tough to glean much out of a game like this because even if you win 40 to nothing it'll always just be okay well it was Morgan State so you know you're supposed to win by that much but at the very least like it it will be very interesting to see what the offense looks like under Clay Helton under offensive coordinator Brian Ellis and under six-year quarterback Kyle Van Treese it it will be i think you know the definitive end to the option era they're not going back to the option anytime soon so it's not like this is make or break but again interesting to see what they look like because they haven't under- undergone a true like philosophy change in a long time in a long time and you know infamously now when they did it didn't go well and they immediately went back that ain't happening again but still notable because it's the start of a new era And also, Georgia Southern going to get Nebraska? Going to get Nebraska for their second game of the season? I think we all know after last weekend that Nebraska's beatable. I think we all know that Nebraska's beatable. So I don't know if Georgia Southern beats them, but that had to be eye-opening for a lot of Georgia Southern fans. Um, On Saturday, watching Scott Frost's uh, Cornhuskers go all the way to Ireland just to get their ass beat, just to choke away a lead. But I'm confident... Georgia Southern against Morgan State, and I don't think that's going out on a limb. There is no betting line uh, released on that, so that tells you everything you need to know there about Statesboro this weekend. All right, quickly, a uh, few notes on high school football before I get you guys to my interview this week. Uh, my top six high school football through two weeks. BC, Calvary, Savannah Christian, New Hampstead, number four, Richmond Hill, number five, Country Day, number six. Um If you haven't already, if you're interested in high school football in this area, go to connectsavannah.com, go to the newsletters tab at the bottom, uh, click newsletters, and then sign up for the read option. The read option is a newsletter that uh, we are two editions in. You're going to get it every Saturday into your email inbox for free, Um, and it's basically my thoughts and ramblings on the previous night's high school football action. So I do want you guys to go check that out. And also check out com. They are a sponsor here on the Hot Crits Podcast, and I do a lot of writing for Carl and Prep Sports Report. Um, it's all local. It's 100% free to read. Uh, and if you're looking for a quick way to read through what happened the night before, we get um, usually about six to eight games into the roundup, and then I'm at a game every week doing a full game story on it. Uh, so... Every week, prepsportsreport.com, either late, late Friday night or early Saturday morning. You can check that out. And then also, connectsavannah.com newsletter, the read option. Uh, That's free. All you have to do is sign up into your email, and you'll get all of that every week. Uh, Last week, I talked about the fact that Benedictine played a game in Miami 16 hours away on a bus, while Calvary, unquestionably the second best team in the city, right now, unquestionably the second-best team in the city, was off last week. Calvary and Benedictine have never played each other, and they still haven't played each other, and they might not ever play each other. But spare me all the talk about uh, national brand, national recognition for BC. Like I get why they schedule games like that. Those opportunities don't come around very often. But let's be very honest, if Benedictine is looking to test itself, it is not a requirement that they travel 16 hours to do so. That's not a requirement because there's a team about two blocks away The many people believe could play four quarters with BC. There's a lot of people that think they could beat BC. I'm not one of them. I think BC is a tier above Calvary, for sure. But look, Calvary is the number four team in Class 3A. Benedictine's the number one team in Class 4A. Why can't the people of Savannah get a game between those two? And instead, BC went to Miami and lost 41-15. Uh, last year, they lost to the same team, Chris Columbus Miami. At Memorial Stadium, I think that game was 42-21. to So, you know, if you're getting national recognition, you're getting it by way of 20-point losses. That's what you want, then more power to you, I guess. All right, let's get to my interview now with Jim Maricus of the Savanian and of Bylines podcast. Uh, anyone that's been around Savannah for any amount of time knows who Jim Maricus is. Uh, you spell his last name M O R E K I S. Uh, he wrote a great column last week. Uh, it was basically a breakup letter to the Savannah Bananas. Uh, so we talk all about that. We talk about In Market Arena a little bit. And then we talk about his new podcast with Rachel Flora and Sean Kelly. It's called Bylines Podcast. That's one word, Bylines Podcast, B-Y-L-I-N-E-S. And you can get that wherever you find your podcasts. So we talk about that as well, but mostly Savannah Bananas stuff, um, including the possibility, maybe, that the Bananas are in breach of their contract at Grayson Stadium. Um, That's something that I bring up and we kind of toss around a little bit so it's pretty interesting and I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, so I'll get you guys to that interview right after this ad with Jim Maricus Okay, we have Jim Maricus now with us. He is the founding editor of The Savannian, um, longtime columnist in the city of Savannah. I think people that are from here, people that have been here for a while uh, will have undoubtedly read some of his stuff. So I wanted to have Jim on to talk a little about his column in the Savannah about the Savannah bananas decision to go exclusively banana ball. So Jim, thanks for joining us, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, buddy.
0: So I I guess let's start with the bananas and then we'll kind of get into the Savannah and and your bylines podcast and, and what you guys are doing over there. But first, yeah, your column on the bananas was as well written as anything I've seen um, about this topic. Um, It's called, I've lost that love and Peeling." So nice pun there. My breakup letter to the Savannah Bananas. Um, <laughs> thank, and essentially, you. you know, I encourage anyone to, you know, to go read this if they haven't already. Um, but essentially, I think the, the point of the column, Jim, and you can correct me if this is wrong, is that maybe the Bananas weren't who we thought they were when they first came in 2016. And, and maybe, um, you know, the love that Savannah has showed them has not been reciprocated in this last week or so when they announced this move. Is that essentially on point?
1: Well, it's it it's kind of like that, but also I'm not e- I'm not even sure it's that cynical to be to be uh to be clear. I uh I almost get the impression that like they created a monster that now has to be fed, and that sort of dawned on me when uh, the team owner Jesse Cole. Was talking about how they would they would go on the road, you know, to other uh, Coastal Plain League games, where of course they can't bring the circus, right? They can't bring the traveling circus. Uh, and he said that the the tickets are so scarce now in Savannah that people in Savannah now go outside of Savannah to see the bananas, and they're really disappointed when they don't see the big show. And and I guess other people are disappointed too if they don't see the big show that they've been promised on TikTok and on ESPN. And 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 when I when I heard him say that, that that was kind of a light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, they they were in a way just kind of a victim of their own success, maybe. I think uh I think in their wildest dreams they probably did see this coming. And you could you could make that argument based on how they came into the market and sort of positioned themselves. But I I mean, how can you game out that kind of success that quickly? I mean, that's like, that's like every businessman's dream. And, and then you're, you got your, you know, board of directors or whatever, you know, clamoring for more growth or, or whatever, you know, so it's almost that kind of a situation. And, uh, I think it's a difficult position to be in because, you know, part of the deal, the social contract they made when they came to Savannah is like, you know, we're going to keep baseball alive in Savannah and we're going to play in this historic, beautiful ballpark that, you know, maybe is a little neglected, but we're going to just make it fun again. And they did. They, they fulfilled all that. But but now it's almost like it's gotten so big that they're, they're like, you know, well, well what's next? And, uh, you know, well, we see now what's next. It's sort of, they're just an exhibition team now. And, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how long they're able to hold on to a local fan base when there's zero, I guess, zero suspense in, in, You know, in the games, it's all about who, who's going to come out with their bat on fire, walking up to the plate, or who's going to be on, what position player is going to be on stilts next. You know, I guess that's the suspense level now. It's it's like, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's fun. And I, I think a lot of people have mischaracterized the column. I mean, people who haven't really read it all the way through, because I was pretty clear about it. But, um, it's not that I didn't see the showmanship aspect from the beginning in the sort of almost cheese ball kind of uh, kind of thing they do to get people interested in the game. I did see that, but, it it seemed to be a worthwhile trade-off because we also saw so many people enjoying baseball who were not going to go to a baseball game before. Young people, uh, all kinds of diverse people going to these bananas games in the beginning. And it was really nice to see, and I, and I figured that it was worth all the silly shenanigans, which are fun. And harmless. I figured it was worth it if we're bringing a, bringing new people into the sport, the, the sport that I love and I love to watch. And um, but now it's almost like it's become its own species, you know. And I guess it has, and it's called banana ball, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's like its own sport now. So essentially, Savannah now has returned to not having a baseball team. I mean, in a way, like they don't have a baseball team.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a show team playing on a baseball diamond. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, so they're playing baseball in that sense, but it's like, you know, any of us who have even a tangential love of the sport, you, you know, you, you get, part of the deal. I mean Ken Burns built a whole career on talking about this, you know. It's like part of the deal with baseball is the tension. There's long, long periods of tension where not much is actually physically happening, but you feel tension build as the as the game builds, that individual game. And even though you had all this goofy entertainment between the innings, which is all all well and good, you know, when it was time for the inning to start and the pitcher to do his wind up, you know, you still had to stop and, you you know, let the pitcher do his wind up. He still couldn't balk, you know, all all the rules were in place. Right. And now, of course, you don't know what you're going to see. And if you like it, you like it and more power to you. But I just felt it was sort of a sort of a changing of the guard, you know, and I guess, Travis, what what made me sad about it is that As I said in the column, is the Savannah bananas really for a while there represented one of the only things in Savannah that really was just for residents and locals, or mostly for residents and locals to enjoy? Um, Obviously, people from out of town, you know, who were in town would enjoy Bananas games. But really, due to the location of the ballpark far outside the tourism zone, and just sort of the nature of the thing, it it really was a, a neighborhood thing and a thing for residents to enjoy. And now, obviously, it's got, I guess, near global appeal at this point. I, I mean, so it, it's kind of, it's good for them. And also, I think, sad for us, because it's like, the one thing that we all kind of held close as something that was more or less just for residents to really enjoy without being spoiled by the whole tourism virus, you know, is now going to change irrevocably. Right.
0: Right. So I guess I want to ask this, Jim, do you think that the Savannah bananas, their brass or their higher ups, do they care what we think, what people in Savannah think? I mean, I know like, The I guess the right, quote unquote, right thing to say here would be like, yes, they care about what we think, but I'm not sure that they do. And I'm not sure that they owe us anything or that they should. I'm not saying that. But like, do you think that they care about people? I think like you and I, that that are thinking along the same lines here um, in terms of what the city of Savannah is losing with this decision, um, like do the bananas care about that?
1: I think they care to the extent that they certainly would like to hang on to the fan base that was already built up. I mean they're not stupid, they're extremely smart people mm-hmm. and and very cool people, very nice people to talk to i've 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 talked to all of them at one time or another they're 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 awesome I mean and they're really sharp and uh they knew what they were bringing into this town was unique and and different and was going to sort of uh uh march to the beat of its own drum so I think they care in the sense that they don't want to lose um uh audience i guess we have to call it an audience now <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> okay. it's a show it's not really fans per se yeah. but they don't want to lose that i mean i think both for real for genuine reasons as well as you know more business reasons but now they they just feel like they really need to uh reach out to a larger audience and of course what we don't know they as you know they and you know more about this than i do i'm sure but they have promised i guess more home games or home shows now and I'm not going to say they're lying. They're, if they say it, they're probably going to do it. But it'll be interesting to see if they can really fulfill that promise. Frankly,
0: yeah, it will. And that's a, a good way to segue to this. I want to ask, like, what you think the city of Savannah should do, if anything? Like, how should they react um, to this? Uh, you know, as far as the COO of the city goes, the city council, the mayor, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But but I found it interesting, and I haven't seen or heard anyone talk about this yet. The, when I went back and looked at the contract or the lease agreement for Grayson Stadium, um, because I remember when this was agreed on in 2020, um, the five year extension, which I've mm-hmm. talked about on, on this podcast before. Um, it's, there is a section that says, and I'll read directly from it, that says the tenant must continually during the term of this agreement own and operate a baseball franchise and Ooh. provide at least three months of seasonal baseball play. involving this franchise team with at least 20 games hosted at the premises per season if the tenant fails to own and operate a baseball franchise and host league play and baseball games in accordance with these provisions the tenant shall be in default and the agreement will automatically terminate um and that's the end of of that little section yeah. there. That's so a nice catch. That's a nice catch, dude. Yeah. yeah is there that, something that, there? Mm-hmm. Like, because this isn't, they've, they've admittedly said this isn't baseball. This is banana ball. And I don't know yeah. that the city of Savannah signed up for that in, in this right. contract.
1: I, well, I mean, you know, I'm a uh, uh, fair warning. I, full disclosure, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me <laughs> that it all boils down to the meaning of the word franchise. And I think you could argue that this is still a franchise. I, I, I personally might not argue that, but I think you can make enough of a case. And um, well, that that explains a lot, right there, Travis. Uh, if there's a minimum number of games, then they're going to hit the minimum number of games. Um, but I, they won't I be
0: do, baseball games, you know. They
1: won't be baseball. Uh, I guess you can still call it a franchise, though. Yeah, because uh, because they are they're going to be pro. I mean, and let's uh, let's at least uh, you know give credit where it's due. The players are at least going to get paid now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something at least. Um
1: yeah so so i think i think i think an expansive definition of the word franchise my guess is they meet it because they do have a payroll they have players who are being paid to play some form of baseball so i and and again i'm not a great legal mind but that's just kind of <laughs> my thinking and i think if they stick stick around would you say 20, 20 games minimum or whatever you yeah, say? yeah yeah I yeah i think they'll they'll do that they'll do that maybe plus a few and uh, and fulfill the requirements. I don't think they have any interest in in leaving because, for a lot of reasons. I mean, they're they've settled here. The name the name rhymes. The name has to rhyme, right? Savannah Bananas. What are yeah. they going to do? You know, uh, and uh, I, you know more about this than I do. What are the what are the chances of an actual MLB uh, farm team coming back here uh, if if the bananas were to leave Grayson, which I am certainly not predicting, but if they were, what are the chances of that realistically? I don't see it.
0: Uh, slim to none at yeah. Grayson Stadium. Like, they're not, no minor league team is going to, is going to, you know, make concessions as far as that goes, as far as playing at a stadium like that. When the city has a track record of if the minor league team isn't happy, then they basically say, you know, go kick rocks, go ahead and right. go to Columbia. Um, right. and, and that's another thing that's always been interesting to me is sort of the background of the Savannah Sand Nats. Like they've been made out to be this, um, greedy minor league franchise that didn't respect Savannah and that didn't, uh, value Savannah and they wanted more and more when really that wasn't the case at all. I mean, the, the, the Savannah Bananas documentary does a good job of, of showing what the bananas walked into. Well, that's what the mm-hmm. Sand Nats were dealing with for a decade.
1: Right, exactly. So
0: yeah. and they were dealing with it with professional baseball players hosting, you know, 70 home games a year. So yeah. like, you know, they had a right to gripe. So I don't think there's any way that a minor league team like Returns to Savannah. I guess I would just ask like what is, what is the city of Savannah should they even react to this at all like or do you expect them to react to this? Uh Um,
1: I I, I don't expect them to. And I don't know why they would right now. Um, I think if they're, you know, the lease agreements are being satisfied and I, I can't imagine they have another use in mind for Grayson. Uh That you and I would appreciate, let's put it that right. way so i'm I'm very much of the mind whenever I deal with the city of savannah i want I want to stay as far off their radar as possible personally <laughs> so so I think and I think the savannah bananas leadership, jesse and those those folks are are smart enough to also just just not want to be on the city's radar because if there's one thing we learned about the city of savannah is that you you don't know how they're going to react or what they're going to do, they're not really predictable. I mean, they might do something awesome. They might do something incredibly stupid and you're never really sure until they do it. So, I mean, if I were the Savannah bananas, I would not rock the boat, the banana boat, so to speak. And, (laughs) um, just, you know, fulfill your minimum obligations and, but don't, you know, I can't imagine they're going to start pushing for more upgrades, but I think, yeah, I think you've written about this. Um, it's possible that they could, but, I don't know. I mean if they're smart they don't they don't get on the city's radar either way.
0: Yeah, and like you said, they're not dumb when it comes to business and when it comes to marketing and PR. So I think they've probably thought this out maybe a little bit more than you and I have. I think that's
1: yeah. Fair I think that's fair to say. Yeah, but it, it's uh, it's 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 bittersweet, I guess is is my feelings. I I'm certainly you know just so no one misunderstands. I'm certainly not suggesting any kind of boycott or whatever. I mean, by all means, if you can get a ticket, go enjoy the game.
0: No, uh, yeah, and I think like like I guess that should be said too. Yeah, like I'm pro what the bananas are doing because it's successful. And like, who am I to tell them what to do? What I what I w- would say is that like people that aren't happy about their decision, that doesn't make them necessarily like anti Savannah bananas. Like we don't have to agree with every decision that they make um, in order to be like, because it seems like, you know, it's easy to get labeled as like, Oh, traditionalist old school baseball guy. Just because you maybe don't want a time limit on the game, like
1: right, right. That, see, that's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because some people are kind of kind of thinking that that was my approach, but I, obviously it wasn't. Anybody who read the column, the whole the whole joke of the column is that it's written as as a breakup letter uh, to a to it's 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 in the voice of a jilted lover, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the whole point is, you know, I I really had a love for what they were doing and I, a true enjoyment. And so I don't wish anything bad to happen to him, but it's just a shame, right? It's just a shame. Um, So that was always my point of view. And uh, I I do think, and I I had a little debate with somebody earlier today. I think it's a question of degrees. So, yeah, they came into town and they had the gimmicks and the shenanigans. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a gimmick and a shenanigan. Okay, fine. They're still going to play ball and they're still going to play nine innings. And at the end, there's going to be a winner and a loser. There's going to be a scoreboard you know, and if you wanted to do the really old school thing of, of having a scorecard and actually scoring the plays, you know, you know, six, four, three, double play or whatever, you could do that. Uh, yeah. but now, you know, how do, how do you do that? You know, they, they, they did a triple somersault, you know, after every ball or, you know, an error counts as a grand slam or you know, whatever they're doing now. Um, you know, it's just like, it's kind of a shame because they, they like, there was a tipping point, right? They just went over the tipping point from just fun shenanigans into the shenanigans are the whole reason we're here.
0: Yeah, I never thought about that. I would love to see that, like a the official score of a banana ball game and his, <laughs> yeah. what his scorebook looks looks like after like the fifth inning.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, exactly. this so it's you know, it's it's not really an old school versus new school thing. It's it's just like they, they I felt they captured a, a perfect formula. They had perfectly figured out a balance between just good, clean fun Family fun that everybody could enjoy, even if you're not a baseball fan. But if you are a baseball fan, you could enjoy some fairly decent baseball at these games. And I, I do want to say this: a lot of people were like, "Yeah, but it was always crappy baseball to begin with." But it wasn't. It was, it was pretty. Not. It yeah. was pretty high level ball, Travis. It really was. And a lot of that, I feel, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well. Is because the crowd was so into the game. I really think that at the home games, anyway, that that really got the bananas players locked in and they played a lot better. Um, I think because the, the, the huge crowd support was there. We, we've seen all kinds of awesome plays, Uh, a lot of great infield plays and great outfield catches, uh, you know, some long balls, solid line drives. I mean, I'm not so much an expert with pitching, but it seemed like pitching was on point in that league for the most part. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete myth that it was never a good baseball. There was at its peak, it was pretty good ball, you know?
0: Yeah, it was. And it's like, they are like, I wouldn't say it's the cream of the crop as far as college baseball summer leagues go, but it's the second tier. Like it was the next tier below a league like the Cape Cod league or something like that. But, but I, yeah. And I've written this before. I think that what they did off the field started to attract better players to Savannah uh, because instead of playing instead of playing in Macon in front of, you know, 800 people or spending your summer in Macon as a, you know, 20-year-old college kid, you could spend it in Savannah and play in front of 4,000 people. And so exactly. the, and so their entertainment off the field I think directly led to a better product on the field and that's where they they brought in people that were sort of on the fence about the whole thing because oh, yeah. Yeah. because you see the baseball and you're like, well, they won in 2016, they won in 2021, they won this year. Surely they're, you know, a good baseball team. And then right when that happens, they sort of nix the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I do think that it was overshadowed by all the gimmicks off the field, but I think people that watched and paid attention realized how good it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on the field. All right, let's talk John Carr, the number one realtor in the world and a good sponsor of ours here on the Hawker Hits Podcast. John Carr, realtor at Seaport Real Estate. Your guy, if you're buying or selling real estate in the Savannah market. Call or text him today. 912-228-0916. That's 912 912-228- 228 Like I said, if you're buying real estate, if you're selling real estate, if you just want to learn more about the market, John is your guy, born and raised here, and knows this area. Like the back of his hand, uh, he wins Realtor of the Month at Seaport every month, it seems like, and for good reason. He is selling real estate, folks. So call or text him today and tell him Hot Grits sent you, 912-228-0916 or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, John Carr, the number one realtor, and a good sponsor here on the Hot Growth Podcast. Um, All right, one more thing on the bananas, and then we'll move on. I wanted to read um, one paragraph here from your breakup letter to the Savannah Bananas. This this was good. So you say, oh, we we can't say we didn't long ago suspect you for being a player, Savannah Bananas. Beginning with your expertly stage-managed controversial choice of team name, allegedly chosen by public vote with merchandise already designed, we knew you were trouble when you walked in, end quote. So I, I guess I that struck me because I don't remember that story or that kind of tidbit about the naming of it, but the merchandise already being, well, that's a little
1: hyperbolic. Let's just, (laughs) let's just say the amount of time was remarkably short between the official announcement of the name and the merchandise going on sale. That's true. And I, and, and look, I, and I said this over and over from the beginning. I, the first time I knew the bananas were for real was when they announced the team name and, uh, everyone, you know, started sharing it online, like immediately. And they all said the same thing. They said, this is the dumbest name I've ever heard. I hate, really hate this dumb name. And I was scrolling my feed and literally my entire feed was people complaining about the the name Savannah Bananas. And I knew right then I was like, these guys are geniuses. They got every single person in Savannah to talk about their college summer league team for a whole day. And that was, that's when I clued in. I'm like, that was the whole point. Obviously the whole point of the contest, we're going to come up with the silliest name and get even more attention. And, um, and it obviously worked out just fine. And the merch just all fell into place. Like, let's just say it fell into place immediately thereafter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean like immediately. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a, and they're another testament to how smart they are. Uh, you know, just ha- like how most touring rock bands today really make their money off of merch. Uh, you know, unfortunately that's the situation in the music business today. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Jesse and, in company figured out, you know, that's a major revenue stream for us is, is uh merch. and, and it all it all was a very sound marketing plan. And w- what was the con- naming contest real? Maybe it was. Probably it wasn't. But you know, right. it, at this point, it's it's all past history. But I just it, and uh, I just felt like you know it's important to say from the beginning they always had this showmanship. And for me, I'm not complaining about the showmanship. It's fine. It's just, it's a question of what do you, what is your identity? What do you really want to be? Do you want to be a base, a local baseball team that locals can really love and enjoy? Or do you want to be a global, you know, semi-global uh, TikTok phenomenon? I mean, it's, it's hard to do both things. Maybe they can pull it off, but it's hard to do.
0: Right. And when given that choice, like, I don't, I guess I can't blame them for picking the ladder.
1: Yeah. And, but the thing about it, as many others have said, that kind of fame is fleeting, right? It's uh it's episodic. It comes and goes and it's, it, how do you put Travis, how do you put the genie back in the bottle? How do you go back to league play if you decide the barnstorming route, isn't what you want for your team? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I, and I talked to the CPL's found, the coastal plain leagues founder this past weekend. And I asked him that like, what if, you know, if, Things don't work out. Could you foresee the bananas coming back to the coastal plain league? Would you guys welcome them? Um, and he basically emphatically said yes. So I think, (laughs) (laughs) so I think that they probably, I guess the bananas probably knew that going out, but I'm sure that in their minds that won't happen. But yeah, that's an interesting thought
1: because, (laughs) yeah, well, by that time, Jesse might own, you know, half
0: the entire league. (laughs) Yeah, he might teams be teams in might, the league. He might be the commissioner by that point himself. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. All right. Well, hey, I wanted to ask you another, um, I guess, venue related thing about Savannah uh, the in market arena and sort of how that's opened in its first um, several months being in Savannah and, and the process of it coming to fruition. I guess a long, 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 lengthy process. Uh, but it's finally open now. What are your thoughts on that and kind of how that? whole situation shook out with the in-market arena. And I guess like, have yeah. you been, have you been over there yet to, to I, check it I out? I
1: haven't been at a venue. I've, I've been at it, at the place, you know, while it was being built and all. So right. I haven't, I haven't been to a thing largely because Travis it's a ticket master venue, uh, which means they use dynamic pricing, which means it's really hard to afford anything over there. But that's, that's something I hope to be, uh, you know, writing about soon is the, the impact of all of the Ticketmaster uh, affiliation, um, on the, on the booking over there. And, uh, my, you know, first off, the first thing is it's a classic example of Savannah putting the cart before the horse. So they, they built the arena before there was any parking. And, um, you know, and yeah, I know now they're kind of, they're getting parking more. It's more settled over there, but, um, you know, they had people parking in, in dark gravel lots, After they've paid, you know, five, six, $700 a ticket. And it was just, it was, it seemed to me a very Savannah way to go, to go about doing a major project, you know, is to forget about the parking. Um,
0: <laughs> that's yeah. That's so the uh,
1: one. and and it's uh, it's it's been something else to watch, and especially all the spin from the city, like oh, we meant this all along, and I am like, yeah, that's the problem. Is you meant that's you meant <laughs> to do this all along, you know? Uh, I think a lot of that, a lot of those pro- those logistic problems will probably sort themselves out. My real issue has to do with the the massive transformative impact on uh, not just that area, which may be good and maybe not so good, but also the, the hit to city finances, because, you know, they, they keep saying that the arena was funded by the, that sales tax, you know, the sploss sales tax, which is true, but that just funds the building itself. That doesn't fund the entire makeover of, of that whole so-called canal district and all the, the road widening and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a, it's a, the the arena project and and canal district as a whole represent a significant chunk of city, uh, the city budget for years to come, many years to come well over above and beyond the operating costs of the show venue itself. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, there's, you know, there's a private company that's running the day-to-day operations at the venue itself. Uh, and that's probably one reason why things go smoothly inside the venue once you're inside the venue. But you know, it's going to be interesting to see. There, there, there are some of some of Savannah's poorest human beings living in this area, uh, and and this transformative impact of that arena right next door to them, literally right next door to them, uh, might either really help them or it might really hurt them, as in drive them out of their homes. And I don't know where they're going to go uh, if that if it comes to that. And so there's a human story there. There, There's a really human story. And it's sort of gentrification on a really grand scale. And we'll see if it brings true economic development to the people who live there or not. I I mean, it's hard to say at this point what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I guess that's probably one of the things that we we can't really make a conclusion on for for a while until we see how it it plays out. Um, But I think it's safe to say that like, Several different, um, you know, administrations, several different, uh, city council, uh, sets have been involved mm-hmm. in, in bringing that to Savannah. And so now that it's finally here, it's, just, it's like the parking stuff and all that is like, man, how, how on earth could you spend <laughs> 15 years planning this thing out? Yeah. And then that happens. But yeah, yeah like exactly. you said, that's sort of one brand.
1: It it truly is. It truly is, it, <laughs> and it's it's not even shocking at this point. So we'll see. I mean, it's uh it it's something else. It's still you know the environmental impact. It is in it was built in the literally the lowest area of Chatham County. I mean, in terms of elevation. So you know it, it'll it remains to be seen weatherwise. Uh, you can imagine people just tromping through you know eight inches of of rain, you know you know stormwater to get yeah. to their, get to their show. I mean, it's, it's not hard to see that happening. So it'll be interesting to see it is what it is at this point. I I was one who pushed for just redoing the civic center footprint with a modern building in the same footprint. That was what I pushed for. And originally was how it was sold to the citizens until, in my opinion, there was kind of a sort of, sort of a bait and switch that went on. And then they, they just moved the venues and pretended like that's what they wanted all along, which I don't think was true. But maybe that's the topic of a different podcast for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I (laughs) could talk about that a lot. Um, Okay, hey, I wanted to ask you about the Savanian and and sort of, you know, you're the founding editor of it. um, Yeah. I'm I'm, one.
1: Yeah, right. one of the founding editors. Yeah, the other the other two are Rachel Flora and Sean Kelly. All three of us worked at uh, Connect Savannah uh, together and then left um, uh, under, you know, interesting circumstances yeah. uh, and uh, basically, you know, n- not entirely pleasant uh, uh, parting over there. Uh, and we decided to start our own independent nonprofit uh, local news outlet. And we're online at savanian.com. And uh, while we are subscriber, we're subscriber supported. So it's five bucks a month. And, um, you know, we don't sell ads or anything like that. However, I did want to point out that the, the bananas column is free to everybody, which is one reason it got so many shares. So it's, you know, you can go find it and read. Anybody can go find it and read it right now and uh and look at it yeah and we have our little podcast network starting you know our plan all along was sort of to have a variety of products out there we have we have a newsletter with our core uh you know website content and then an affiliated podcast network and um yeah so so it's been fun it's we've been we're about to start our third year of operation so it's pretty cool
0: and so, like, I, I'm familiar with it and, and I've read a lot of the stuff on there, but but for people that haven't, what kind of, like, what separates this from Connect or from the Savannah Morning News or from local TV stations? Like, what kind of content um, would people expect to, to read on the Savannah that yeah. they're not getting elsewhere?
1: Well, we, we have a mix of an investigative news and uh, sort of po- local politics. Everything's local. So you're, you're not going to read about nas- national politics or Trump or whoever, you know, on, on our site. So it's, that's why we call it the Savannian, you know, and a, a healthy dose of arts and culture, because, um, you know, my entire career as an independent journalist has been in what are called alt weekly papers. I don't know. Not everybody's familiar with that term. But basically, what that means is alternative news weekly. And in this case, alternative means an alternative to the mainstream media. So we like to present ourselves as an alternative to the, the sort of the usual mainstream media in town. And um, our takes are a little different and probably a little more uh, about giving voice to the voiceless and speaking truth to power and sort of my personal Stance is sort of anti-politician in general. Um, just whatever politician is out there, I'm kind of reflexively opposed to them. Um, and we just sort of uh, have an alternative take on stuff like that. And our our content is a little more, I guess, it's a little more adult friendly in the sense that we have frank conversations and we don't we don't necessarily write to the eighth grade level like I think uh, a daily newspaper might do. You know,
0: right? Yeah. And for the, for your podcast, which I've listened to, um, I I think you guys are three episodes deep now Mm -hmm. Bylines Mm -hmm. podcast, and you can get that wherever, wherever you're listening to this, you can probably get it, Mm -hmm. you know, on that app, Apple, Spotify, Mm -hmm. um, wherever. So how, how have you, cause I'm always curious to, to ask other people doing podcasts, like how, how they like it at different stages. So how have Mm -hmm. you, I know you're only three episodes deep right now, but how have you liked that format in that form?
1: Well, we really enjoy it. This is our our second foray into podcasts. We did, I think, we did a couple when we first launched the publication. And um, Rachel, Sean, and I just have a real natural rapport and a lot of chemistry together. So we do very little show prep because we just we just kind of immediately start clicking and and uh, have a lot of fun with it. And um, I think right now, if there's a format for our podcast, generally speaking, we pick like one particular story from that week's content and sort of have an extended conversation about it. And it's not necessarily one of our pieces. It could be one of our contributors pieces as well. Um, And then we just sort of riff. We just kind of go off because we're kind of like that. But um, a lot of it has to do with chemistry. Um, really with podcasting and, uh, and we, we, we just work well together. We have a lot of fun and we also, I think the the reason people like us is we talk about things that everybody's talking about, but is probably, they're probably not willing to talk about in public about local, local things, whether it's having, you know, uh, whether it's talking about a certain very large local, um, art school, um, you know, is sort of uh, saying things about about Scad that maybe everybody's thinking, but not everybody is wants to say. You know, we'll have conversations like that.
0: The uh, the aesthetic of bike racks downtown. <laughs> Don't get me started
1: on that. I you know <laughs> apparently the bike racks on Broughton Street are this thing called. I'm told a thing called Corten steel, C-O-R-T-E-N, and the in the uh, the purpose of of these new bike racks that you can see on Broughton Street right now that look like they're 200 year old hunks of garbage that are just brought up from the bottom of the Pacific, they're intended to look like that because this stuff is apparently supposed to what they call is have a self weathering patina, right? Which is quite Sounds a mouthful. Important. Sounds really important, and so I'm like, okay, Jim, maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's going to look awesome in two or three years. And I'm googling photos of and steel, and it looks like crap all the time. <laughs> it just looks, <laughs> it looks horrible. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not hooking my bike up to this thing, you know. And it's just silly. But, but again, that's uh, yeah. We we had fun the last podcast talking about the Broughton Street uh, debacle, the whole cluster yeah. over there.
0: Yeah, and I think, look, I'm born and raised in Savannah, and I think people that are from here or that have lived here for a while, when they listen to bylines, they'll be able to tell a lot of the things that you guys are saying, and they'll be able to to pick up what you guys are talking about, even if, you know, all the time you're not saying it outright or directly. Um, so yeah. that's what I appreciate about it. You can tell that, that you guys are plugged in. Um, even if it's Sean. So Sean Kelly, he's not from here. Well he's not quote unquote from it.
1: here. No. Yeah. He's 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 from Charleston, but by way of New York, he's really a New Yorker. But he's right. he's an interesting guy. He's been he's been all around. So he he has a pretty broad broad life experience for a guy as young as he is. And, and Rachel uh, worked on my staff, my new staff at Connect for several, several years. I mean, I mean, several years. I forget, it was like six or seven or eight or whatever. So, um, and, and she's an awesome all-around journalist. She can write news. She can write uh, art. She can write anything she wants to write. So it's, it's a pretty good team. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the only, quote unquote, native Savannian. Um, right. on the on the staff for what that's worth uh, but you know I can I can uh, kind of dig deep back into the memory banks for a little bit of context sometimes
0: yeah and I've read Rachel's stuff for a long time she she is mm-hmm. really good um and obviously like I said I you know I, Jim I don't want to make you feel old but I'm 30. I grew up like reading <laughs> a lot of your stuff
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome no that's great man I appreciate it.
0: Well, hey. Um, unless there's anything else you want to get to, I'll let you go. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and if you want to plug anything else, I know people can follow you on Twitter at Jim Maricus It's yeah. M O R E K I S.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm 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 more on Facebook, honestly, and in a lot of the stuff. If I if I'm posting like local, cool local content. Um, I'll, I'll make that public, you know, on my Facebook. But um, yeah, you know, like the other day, I on Broadden Street, I saw the backhoe almost take a guy's head off. That was interesting. So you know, there's always <laughs> something going on in this town.
0: Yeah, especially on Broaden Street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All <laughs> okay, right, my Jim, friend. Well, hey, thanks yeah. for thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it, man. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Bye, bye. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players. Full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282. And visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility. Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call. 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Brady Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Brady Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google Reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.